Welcome to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie. So glad that you could be here today, and happy Epiphany, by the way. Today is the feast day of the Epiphany, the, I should say, the traditional feast day, right? It's uh, January 6th, the 12th, yeah, you've heard of that, right? You've heard about the 12 days of Christmas, 12th night, and all of that. Uh, well, that that's today, you know, today is uh, the Feast of the Epiphany, January 6th. This is the traditional uh, date of the celebration of Epiphany. Now, if you're Catholic and you're in the United States, uh, then you celebrated uh, the Epiphany on Sunday, this past Sunday, uh, January 3rd. And that is because for uh, certain pastoral reasons, uh, the bishops uh, decide to move certain feast days. Now, you know, we do have some feast days throughout the year in the liturgical calendar that change every year, right? I mean, you, you, you think about uh, 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 Ash Wednesday, right? Lent. But see, it's all, it all hinges on Easter, the date of Easter. So Ash Wednesday is going to depend on when uh, Easter is, you know, and how does that date get set? Well, I'm not prepared to go into all the specifics of the date. However, I can tell you that uh, it's based on the moon, believe it or not. Uh, Easter was a, uh, uh, in the very beginning, that 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 feast day, even for the Jews, uh, was a, um, a, a lunar feast. It was a, a harvest feast. And so it, it depended on, on uh, the lunar cycle. And uh, that's why we have different dates. Now, uh, there are different dates in Christendom for Easter. Uh, the, the Western Church and the Eastern Church uh, oftentimes have uh, different dates, by uh, different calculations. And it's interesting because I think it was a year ago, two years ago, it actually ended up being the same. Isn't that wild? So I, I'm sure that we could get into all the particulars. I don't want to do that today. I just want to make a point that uh, you know, some we we're accustomed to this. Some feast days change from year to year. Ash Wednesday, uh, Mardi Gras, of course, uh, down here in South Louisiana. Got to mention that is dependent on Ash Wednesday. But one thing that doesn't change, we do have some feast days that don't change because they're based on lunar feasts or or, or lunar cycles or anything like that. They change simply because um, they fall at a bad time. <laughs> You know, sometimes Ascension, Ascension traditionally has been what? A Thursday, right? Ascension Thursday. Uh, well, typically in the United States, that is going to be moved to the closest Sunday. Uh, why? Uh, so that more of the faithful can participate in the liturgy. And I, I understand that. That's a, a very good thing. And with our hectic lives today, you know, we have to uh, bend the rules a little bit in, in this in this respect. Uh, I, I mentioned on Monday's show that I'm a little bit more of a liturgical and historical purist. I like to keep the how and the why of things intact. You know, the reason that things came about and, the, and the, how they first were. Uh, I kind of like that I kind of like to keep that intact, uh, but I understand. I understand that uh, certain feast days uh, have to be moved, you know. And, and so we have Ascension Thursday moved. We have Epiphany uh, moved. I, I, just for me, for whatever reason. Well, I think I kind of know the reason. Uh, for me, the Epiphany is something that uh, I, I would prefer to be kept on January sixth. Why? Well, down here in South Louisiana, we're going to be talking about king cake today, folks. I got to tell you, we have to. We just have to. But here in South Louisiana, Louisiana, uh, New Orleans in particular, uh, this is king cake season. This is carnival season. Today kicks off carnival season. As a matter of fact, uh, most of the businesses, most of the uh, regular people in, the, in and around New Orleans and South Louisiana, they have no clue 
that the Epiphany was celebrated on Sunday. <laughs> Why? Because everybody knows that the Epiphany uh, is celebrated on January 6th. And for a long, long time, you know, the businesses, the bakeries, the, the stores, the grocery stores, for a long, long time, they respected that date and did not start to make king cakes until today. January 6th. Now, unfortunately, I have to say, it's just not that way anymore. It's kind of like Christmas, you know, the commercialization of Christmas that has happened, unfortunately, and uh, in the way that that has impacted our, our shopping, the way it's impacted our decorating, the way it's impacted the way that we see and view uh, the Advent season and also also the Christmas season and how it comes to an end right there on January, uh, on December uh, 26th. See, that, 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 is the influence of just secular culture, you know, and, and always rushing to get to the next great thing. And uh, same thing we could see happening, or I should say, yeah, I guess it is rushing to get to the next great thing. We could say the same thing about uh, the carnival season, king cake season. So nowadays, instead of waiting until January 6th, that traditional date, which was sort of kept holy in a way, uh, bakeries, grocery stores, chain stores even uh, start to produce or start to make their king cakes early. And, and there's some places where it's unfortunate. Some places you can get a king cake year round and that's just not right, right? It's just not right. That's not what it's all about. But folks, we are going to be talking about king cakes today. I've got a number of things I want to share with you. We're going to talk about some king cake traditions. Uh, we're going to talk about, well, a king cake recipe. I have a recipe to give to you today. Uh, you, you don't have to uh, go out to the store and buy one. You don't have to order one, although you can order them. They do have them available online. And uh, we're going to talk about just a little bit about king cake celebrations in different parts of the world. New Orleans is not unique in this respect. There are other places around the world that uh, celebrate king cakes. And we're going to kind of delve just a little bit into perhaps the history of this tradition. Where does it come from? Uh, it is based on faith. It's based originally, it came from our Catholic faith. Uh, New Orleans, it's, it's interesting. You know, yeah, I have folks, uh, good, good Catholic people who come to visit from time to time in New Orleans, and they don't quite know if it's their first visit. They don't quite know what to think, you know, because you, you look at the news, uh, you look at MTV, you look at uh, uh, in other media outlets and the way that they present New Orleans. It's a big party city, which it is. You know, everybody, I think, has a, the, the idea of New Orleans as being what you might find on Bourbon Street in the French Quarter in the middle of Mardi Gras. But that's not really right. It's not really accurate, right? It's just Bourbon Street is one street in the middle of a one city, right? In the middle of a state, in the middle of a world. It's just one one street. And so the rest of the, the, the city is not necessarily like that. And, and Bourbon Street itself isn't necessarily like the way it's portrayed all the time. Uh, and I had a point to this. What was my point? Uh, my point is uh, that so folks come down here to visit. They don't quite know what to make. Why? Because there's a lot of cultural Catholicism. There's a, Louisiana was founded, right, by Catholics. It was a tremendous Catholic influence in Louisiana and uh, in the city of New Orleans. Uh, has been historically for, for years and years and years. And so uh, there is a Catholicism here. There is 
a, a cultural Catholicism, a common Catholicism that people just accept and acknowledge without even thinking about it. I'll give you an example. Uh, Fridays in Lent. It is not uncommon for uh, non-Catholics to give things up for Lent, first of all. It's not uncommon for them to uh, abstain from meat on Fridays in Lent. As a matter of fact, and I love this, driving around town on Fridays, you know, you see all the Knights of Columbus, uh, different parishes all over, uh, will have fish fries on Fridays in Lent. And it's, it's a good thing because it, it raises money for good works. It raises money for, for charity. It raises money for some of the, the, the great works that the Knights of Columbus do throughout the year. That's a fantastic thing. It also helps other, you know, parishes that need to raise money for whatever, um, uh, uh, outreaches that they do. It's a good thing, but I always just get this big smile on my face when I drive down the road and I see a big billboard or some other kind of sign out advertising the fish fry of the, uh, the Linton fish fries of the Protestant churches. <laughs> I just love it. I love it because you see uh, that a lot of folks down here um, are closer to Catholicism than they think they are, right, than they're aware of. And I, I think that's just so cool. So this is one of them, you know, king cakes, even to see the non-Catholics have this respect of wanting to hold on to, okay, it's January 6th. I saw it today on social media, all over the place. People posting about uh, now they got their king, they got their first king cake, right, today. Now, the truth is the stores have had them in, in stock, you know, for the last week, if not longer. Uh, but it's so cool to see all these people who may not have darkened the door of a church in a long, long time. They're going to hold off. They're going to wait for January 6th. So at least there's a little inkling there, right, of, of a sense of faith, of a sense of, of, of awe and maybe respect for something. Uh, so it's, it's, it's at least a little, a little doorway there. It's, it's, it's common ground as well. It, it's a good place to start a conversation about faith, to talk to people about faith around the table with a king cake. <laughs> so we'll be talking king cake today. Uh, I have to admit, I have not made one yet, um, but this Sunday, I think, is uh, is going to be the, the day. It'll be the first day. It's just, for me, it's just time, time and, and schedule. I haven't had a chance uh, to make one. I did have a temptation I admit a temptation to make a king cake this past Sunday since it was uh, liturgically uh, celebrated as the Feast of uh, the uh, Epiphany. Uh, but when I even brought the idea to my wife, she, she looked at me, she's like, well, it's not really the Epiphany. <laughs> you see, it's, it's, it's entrenched in us. It's, it's ingrained in us here, this, this, uh, this, this belief that we have to celebrate on you know, the, the epiphany on what? January 6th, right? It's King's Day, for goodness sake. Look, we are approaching our first break, folks, and I want to invite you to go to breadboxmedia.com. Uh, we have a, a little survey. We want to know how you tend to listen to the shows here on Breadbox Media. Uh, do you listen to the just a podcast? Do you download just a podcast? Do you go to Podbean to listen? Do you listen live from the website? Do you uh, listen through iTunes? How do, you, how do you listen? We have a lot of things that we're doing and 2016. And this would be a big help for us if you were uh, to just go to breadboxmedia.com. It would take you literally 
30 seconds, right, to go there and to uh, simply click on that link to take the survey and uh, it's just answer a question. That's all it is. It's, it's, you just pick, uh, click a box and, that, and that's all it is. But it helps us, helps us to prepare. So we got to take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie. We're talking today about the Feast of the Epiphany and also King Cakes. You know, Epiphany is also called King's Day uh, in a lot of places. Uh, it's it's, it's the, the day that we celebrate when the three wise men, or the three kings as they are also known, uh, visited Jesus, right? When they, the star, they follow the star to Bethlehem. And they come and they present to Jesus gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And there's there's a lot of layers to the story. There's a lot of things that we could talk about. You know, epiphany, what does it mean, epiphany? If you have an epiphany, what do you have? You have this realization, you know, this the epiphany was like this manifestation of God, of God's presence. I mean, you can imagine Mary and Joseph, uh, all these things happened that, that seemed so spectacular. And I don't know if you've seen the movie, uh, the Nativity Story. It, it was, uh, I think it, it 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 came out into theaters just a couple of years ago. I don't know, two, three, four years ago. I'm terrible with with time. Time just goes too fast for me to keep up. Uh, but the Nativity Story is something that we like to watch every year around this time, right, Christmas time. Um, and you know, of course, with any sort of art like this, we could criticize it, right? We can we can critique it. There are things about it we like, things about it we don't like. Well, one of the things that I really do like about that movie, that film, that portrayal of this amazing story of God becoming man in Jesus of Nazareth, this this whole story, the way that it portrays it, the one thing that really just gets to me is the fact that it's so ordinary. It's so plain. You know, in my mind, you kind of think of how spectacular it must have been for the angel to appear to the shepherds. You must have, you know, think about how amazing it was for the angel to appear to Mary, to Gabriel, to appear to her and to, to, uh, uh, for the Annunciation, you know, inviting her to be the mother of God, the mother of Jesus, the mother of Messiah, the, the Savior. And to me, it's just like, oh my goodness, if, you know, if an angel appeared to me, when I was young, I thought it'd be cool, you know, but if an angel appeared to me today, I'd probably die. You know, it'd scare me to death. But but the way this movie portrays the story and the details of the story is just in such an ordinary way. From from uh, um, Zechariah in the in the temple offering incense in the way that the that Gabriel spoke to him, you know, and then he's rendered mute, right? That part from to the to the to the Annunciation with Gabriel and Mary, to the angel's appearance to Joseph in the dream, you know, to the appearance of the angel to the shepherds, all of it was just so ordinary. There were no fireworks. There were no you know, awesome special effects or anything like that. You didn't have the angels singing Hosanna in the highest where everybody in the world could hear it. It was a lot of silence. It was just so ordinary, so plain, you know? And it made me think that maybe those, maybe there are a lot of times in my life that God comes to me and God's doing things in my life in a way that's just so plain, 
you know, uh, just ordinary. That there's no fireworks. There's nothing spectacular. There's there's nothing that's announcing. There's no trumpet blaring, you know, and, and announcing ahead of time. God's doing this in you. Instead, it's just ho hum, you know, the everyday. And and it's just amazing to me to to see that to, because it opens up my eyes to see that God really is working in my life and in the lives of other people in ways that don't have to be spectacular. They are really deeply, profoundly spectacular, but they just seem so normal, so ordinary, so plain. And that's just amazing to me. And so when you think about these traditions, right, we talk about this feast day where God is manifested to the world. You think of what Mary and Joseph must have, how they must have felt. They, they go through this whole thing where Joseph, Mary had to have a lot of faith that the word that the angel spoke was going to be fulfilled. And I mean, I can imagine, you know, again, in my imagination, it's, it's kind of a stretch, but I can kind of imagine, kind of see Mary as even, even when these good things happen, these miraculous things happen, she conceives miraculously. Wow. Like that's never happened before, <laughs> you know? And you see this, she, she, I can imagine her experience. She, she witnesses this. She, she, she holds these things in her heart. She ponders on them, but it doesn't make the crucifixion any easier. It, it doesn't make losing him at the, in Jerusalem when he's 12 years old at the temple any easier, right? I, I, I've had incredible experiences in prayer with God. I, I've seen miracles happen. And guess what? Sometimes just the ho-hum of every day, the, 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 the drag and drain and pull of everyday life makes me forget you know, I just forget the things that I've seen. I forget what God has done. And I can imagine, you know, Mary probably gets into a little routine of making, you know, getting up, making breakfast, making lunch, making dinner, loving uh, uh, Joseph and loving Jesus as as Jesus is growing up, kind of getting into this routine and, and maybe just not, not being 100% like in awe constantly, which is what I would have think that I, I would be, you know, which I know it wouldn't happen. I, I think I would want myself to be in awe all the time, but I'm human. And, and, and so I, I forget. And uh, it's just kind of the humdrum, you know? And, and so you see how they went through all of this drama, but in a really kind of normal way with the Annunciation and Mary's pregnant and, and she's helping Elizabeth and she sees this miracle of Zachariah getting his, his voice back and the baby being born and the experience of the, the babe leaping and, 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 and Elizabeth's womb, you know, when Mary comes and, and, and the, the awe it must've brought up in Mary when, when Elizabeth greeted her the way she did, we still pray those words today in the Hail Mary. It's amazing to me. We still pray those words today, but what, what did that do for Mary? I mean, it, she, you know, the, the way that Luke records it, at least, she was so over, overwhelmed and overjoyed that she broke out in song, right? The Magnificat, we call it. That's just amazing to me. It must have bolstered her own faith so much because she knew what she knew about the angel. She experienced it. Joseph didn't even know. Joseph was told later in a dream, right? But Mary knew 
And she shows up and Elizabeth knows that Mary is pregnant and knows who the baby is, that the baby is the Messiah. Man, I mean, it's just uh, things that are just so normal, natural, every day, and yet it is totally imbued with God, totally imbued with God's grace. And that, and that to me is just amazing. So they go through this whole ordeal of having to travel to Bethlehem. You know, the, the, none of it's easy. God didn't um, make the, the mountains uh, fall down to the ground and, and lift up the valleys and make it a straight path. You know, they didn't get like a, a, a Corvette or an Uber, <laughs> somebody to drive them uh, uh, to Bethlehem. Right. They had to make that hard journey. It was a very hard journey. And she was pregnant. Very difficult. journey. I'm sure a very scary journey too. the travel in those days was not as fun as it can be today. I mean, sometimes it could be scary, too. But today, but but back then, they had, they had a lot of problems with uh, thieves, robbers, bandits, people who were up to no good and had no no good intentions for you. You know, you had to be careful. You had to be very careful. And so they made that hard journey. And so they get there. And then, and then of course, the the surprise, right? Uh, um, Jesus, it's time for his birth. He's, he's coming. And they, they finally find a place. There's no room in the end, but they find a place. God provides a place. It's not the perfect place, but it's a place. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, totally unannounced, totally unannounced, these three wise men show up. These three kings show up and they know who the child is. They know who the baby is and they reverence and and worship that baby. I mean, can you imagine what that would have done, must have done to the faith of both Mary and Joseph to see that? Other people know God is talking to other people too. God is telling them. God is taking care of every little detail. He's preparing the way. He doesn't wave a magic wand and take away all the pain. He doesn't take away all the heartache. He doesn't take away all the, uh, the hard stuff that we have to go through in life as human beings. He doesn't do that, but he takes care of every detail. In, in the, the, the ordinary, everyday way. And, and to me, I don't know, that, that just speaks to me uh, so profoundly. And so, as I was saying earlier, there's so many different layers to this story. I mean, we could look at it from the standpoint of God manifesting himself to the world. We can see how the, the, the three wise men are representative of how salvation is coming not only to the Jews, but to the entire world. It's a prefigurement of what we're going to see when you know, St. Paul becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. It's just, it's amazing. The, the beauty of God and the beauty of the details that are in these stories is just, it's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So that, those are some of the, 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 the layers of things that we can look at, you know, and, and is it any wonder that in the ordinariness of our human lives, you know, where we get up and we eat, you know, we make breakfast and lunch and dinner. Uh, we go to work, we come home from work, we spend time with our family uh, we go to bed, we get up the next day, we do it all again. And in the ordinariness of, of our lives, that we have these moments, we try to carve out these moments and these activities as something sacred, as something holy, as something special. And I'm talking about special meals. 
I'm talking about time around the table with your family for the holidays, for Christmas, uh, a time at, at church, time in prayer, whether that prayer is at church in, a, in an adoration chapel or, or at home. I gotta, we got to take a break. We're already there. We got to take a break. You're listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on Breadbox Media. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie. And man, I almost missed that break. I was going too long. I got all caught up in all the stuff I was saying, sharing with you. <laughs> that happens to me from time to time. You know, I can't uh, can't help that. You know, but I was talking about the ordinariness of, uh, of life and how we set aside these times to celebrate these things that are holy and sacred. Uh, and are important, right? Important. And and this is one of them. We develop these traditions, uh, the rosary, beautiful, beautiful tradition. And, and we pray the rosary. My uh, my family, uh, my wife and my children and I, we, we try to pray the rosary during Advent and, and during Christmas together as a family as, as often as possible. There are certain days that we do pray the rosary together, but during, during these special times, these special seasons and Lent is one of them. We try to do it every day and it's tough. It's tough. It's hard. Like last night we were up, I think at 1030, still trying to, to pray the rosary. But, um, so we have these traditions and those, they're so important to hold on to these traditions. And one of the traditions, the one that I want to talk to you about today that has to do with the epiphany is this thing called a king cake. And uh, I have a little sound clip I'm going to play for you here because I don't want you talking or I don't want you to hear just my voice about all this. I'd love to hear your voice sometimes. Uh, you know, we've talked about resolutions this week. I'm still going to say a few things about resolutions, New Year resolutions over the next couple of days. I'd love to hear what your resolutions are. I'd love to hear if you have any traditions around the epiphany. You can always call, leave me voice feedback that I could play right here on the show by calling 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. Call that, leave a message, and I can play it right here on the show. Now, in the meantime, I have a, a video clip here. It's a very short clip, less than a minute and a half. It, it's going to give you a quick overview of the king cake, what it's all about, a little bit about where it comes from originally, but mainly what the tradition is like today. It's kind of fun, produced by Go Nola, Go Nola. Dot com. Uh, you, you'll find uh, they produce a lot of videos, a lot of content centered around New Orleans. I love uh, the stuff that they produce. Um, there is a, a, a Lauren Tom. Uh, you may have heard her name. She's been featured on um, uh, a lot of major networks. I'm, I'm thinking back to the Saints uh, winning the Super Bowl. I'm thinking back to some scandals involving the Fleur de Lis uh, emblem, her speaking out about that. Uh, she owns some shops in New Orleans. Uh, she's also known on social media as Flirty Girl, Flirty Girl, like Fleur de Lis, Flirty Girl. Uh, and so she's the one who's the voice you're going to hear here, 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 New Year's, here, here. Uh, you're going to hear her in this uh, video, she's a great spokesperson for New Orleans and for New Orleans uh, culture and uh, and cuisine as well. So let's take a listen real quick, a little bit about king cakes in New Orleans. When it's carnival time in New Orleans, people line up at places like Randazzo's Bakery to buy what's called a king cake. It's a very deep tradition here in New Orleans. And if you're visiting during Mardi Gras, you'll want to know what this is and what it's all about. 
The King's Day that just starts everything off for our Mardi Gras season, and it actually had its roots started with uh, the religious roots in the three wise men in search of baby Jesus and on the Epiphany, and that was the day that he was shown to the world. So to keep that tradition, they made a little pastry, and they inserted it way back when, it was like a bean, and whoever got the bean was uh, like the king of the day, and it represented uh, the finding of the baby Jesus. So the it evolved to the plastic baby. Whoever gets the baby has to buy the next king cake, basically, and so it's all about the baby. If it didn't have the baby in there, you wouldn't have a king cake. So the tradition just keeps going on, you know, all throughout till Mardi Gras day. It's just a very good feeling, you know, to, to carry that tradition on, and it's just a very festive atmosphere. You got the baby? <laughs> Yay! You gotta bring the next king cake. You don't have to be in New Orleans to enjoy a king cake. You can also order them, and they can ship anywhere around the country. But well, I'm Flirty Girl, and that wraps up another edition of Go Nola TV, and we'll see you next time, darling. I love it. I love it. This is a uh, video, by the way, and I'm going to embed that video over at uh, catholicfoodie.com. It'll be in the show notes for today's show, January 6th at uh, catholicfoodie.com. And, you know, they talked about some, a little bit about the, the origins, the beginnings of this uh, tradition. You know, I think a lot of it goes back overall, right? Overall, a lot of it goes back to uh, the common people, Common people having a day, because yeah, Mardi Gras itself goes back to this. The common people having a day where they can be like royalty. You know, a lot of cultures uh, around the world have uh, celebrations like this. You know, where where uh, the, the the commoners, and this is historic, not not just today, but. It, historically, there have been a lot of cultures throughout the years, throughout the centuries that have had celebrations like this where where on a given day, the common people get to have a, a feast or a ball or a party or a dance or whatever it may be, a big, huge party where among, among them are chosen people who could be like king and queen for the day. So that whole that whole uh, idea, that concept, is not new. It, it, it's very old uh, in human history, and uh, it happened here in the New World too, uh, in New Orleans. You know, we we had a couple hundred years ago. I mean, New Orleans was very different than it is today. All of the United States was very different than it is today, and uh, you, you did have uh, settlers here. And so this was part of it, part of these traditions. And, and Mardi Gras came around and we can argue round and round about where our Mardi Gras came from, you know, uh, Mobile or New Orleans or whatever. But uh, the, 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 it stayed here in New Orleans. <laughs> Just put it that way. Uh, but overall, in general, right, uh, it was that kind of a celebration. And one of the uh, things that happened, uh, you know, again, you're talking about a very Catholic uh, culture at the time. Uh, so Catholic theology kind of plays a part in, in, in this. If you, if you look at a king cake itself, what, what does it look like? First of all, it's round, right? It's round. And, and that's, the symbolism there is for, um, it's kind of like a, a crown, Right? It's a crown for a king. It, it designates royalty. You can see that again on many different levels, not just the level of Jesus as being the king, but also uh, King's Day, uh, the epiphany. It could be the whole concept, the idea of you know the commoners being royalty for a day, king and queen for a day. So it has a lot of applications here. Uh, you see also the fact that there is a, a 
baby, a little plastic baby inside. Um, and everybody knows that, right? Everybody knows that. So, uh, and it's added, by the way, after the king cake is baked. You don't want to add a plastic baby to a king cake before it's baked because <laughs> that would yield what? Uh, melted plastic baby inside of a cake and nobody wants that. So uh, you add it after the cake is baked and cooled. Um, but originally it wasn't a plastic baby. They didn't have plastic back then. Uh, they would use something else. They would use a little um, bean, a dried bean, maybe a fava bean or some other kind of bean. Uh, or they would use uh, you know a nut like a pecan or, or, or something along those lines. Um, and then over time, there were other traditions. I remember reading a, a book, kind of reviewing the, the history of this. I'm going from memory now because this was a, a couple of years ago when I was doing some research on it. I, I do recall that there was a tradition in New Orleans, uh, and this was after Mardi Gras was already in in uh, in full swing, like the tradition of Mardi Gras, which in New Orleans uh, goes back to the 1800s, late 1800s. And uh so, so this had already been established. So it was probably in the early 1900s. I was reading about this, where what they would do that to try to 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 choose who was going to be like the 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 queen, and then the the court. You know, you had to have all these. You'd have these debutantes that would were part of this. They were they were part of a certain uh, section of society. You know, they had they they had means. They 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 had money. Uh, so they were necess not necessarily at this point commoners, you know, like we would think of, but they, they did have some means there. And so they were part of this uh, celebration where they would announce, they would find out who was going to be the queen, who was going to be part of the court. And the way they would do that, they would bake this big cake. And then they had these little uh, uh, medallion, uh, medallions or little, uh, I'm trying to think of a, of a term. I can't think of one, but it, uh, like metal, some sort of metal uh, images, Right, like one would be like a little shoe or a crown or whatever, kind of like a little pendant, you know, you would find today for jewelry, that that kind of a thing, tied to a ribbon. And they would all be uh, inserted, kind of laying under the cake. So you couldn't see them. All you could see were the ribbons. And at a certain point of the evening, there'd be a ceremony. They'd pull the ribbons and we'd find out who is going to be part of the court, who is going to be part of the, you know, who's going to be the queen uh, or, or whatever. So you've had different traditions happen over Time. That is not what happens today. <laughs> I mean, today's a little bit different in the way that that king, as far as king cakes in general go. Uh, but you have it's round for a crown. Um, the baby Jesus, you know, this is is the symbol behind the uh, the pecan or the bean or the plastic baby. It is the baby Jesus. So you have that that symbolism there of uh, the wise men, the kings searching for. Jesus, and it's really about finding Jesus. And as a Christian, as a Catholic, of course, that that can be the greatest implication for for us. Um, now, the colors traditionally, the colors of Mardi Gras are are gold, green, gold, and purple. And this was actually established early, early on. I think it was back in 1892. It was the uh, the the um, uh, the king that year of Carnival Rex chose those colors for this reason. Uh, he wanted to designate a meaning to the colors. And so purple was for justice. Green was for faith. Faith was very important. And then gold for power. And so these three colors uh, stuck for some reason. And then they have been associated with Mardi Gras ever since. And so you'll see a king cake decorated with these colors, uh, purple, green, and gold. 
And uh, so we we are actually back up against a break. We're running out of time today. I still got to get my recipe to you. We're going to try to take care of that at the very beginning of the next segment. Uh, So don't go away. Stay tuned. Uh, You're listening to the Catholic Foodie Show here on Breadbox Media. And we'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to the Catholic Foodie Show. I'm Jeff Young, your host, the Catholic Foodie. So glad that you were listening today. We're talking king cake. Why? Because today is the feast day of, at least traditionally, historically, the feast of Epiphany, right? January 6th. It is a a big celebration. Lots of king cakes. I can't remember. I do have statistics um, over at catholicfoodie.com. I have statistics. I have to find those and put them in the show notes. I should have looked that up for you now for the show. I, I, I Sorry, I didn't, but it is amazing. It's a, it's a tremendous business, uh, this king cake production thing. King cakes are shipped all over the world. Uh, on this uh, video that you heard, you heard a little sound clip uh, last segment. That was uh, uh, Lauren Tom was at Randazzo's. Randazzo's one of the most famous uh, king cake bakeries. Matter of fact, they have locations that are opened up only during carnival season every year, which goes from today, January 6th, until uh, the end of Fat Tuesday, the end of Mardi Gras day. Uh, and that's it. And those bakeries are open and they're in operation only only those periods of time. It's pretty amazing. They ship those things out all over the world. But I'm going to tell you today how to make one so you don't have to order one. Uh, and, and it's just so cool because I've had, uh, over the years, I have talked about this. I've given, my recipe has been up over at catholicfoodie.com. For, I don't know, seven years, six years now, and and I've had people uh, over the years contact me, thanking me for it, telling me about how they brought it to their family, or they brought it to. You know, I have teachers like Barb in Nebraska, you know, Barb in Nebraska, very popular on the the social networks, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all of that. Barb in Nebraska is a teacher, and she has uh, brought king cake and that whole uh, traditional view of of the the images, the, the symbolism of the king cake to her students at school. And it's just been so awesome to to get her feedback and how much the kids loved it and all of that. So, um, I want to share that with you today, that that uh, that recipe, which is not really mine per se. Uh, I got it from Emeril, Emeril Lagasse. It's, it's uh, his recipe that I've just tweaked to my liking, uh, but I did not come up with it uh, on my own. A couple of things I could say about a king cake, though, uh, there's so many different ways to prepare it. I mean, if you go online, you look up recipes, there are so many different ways. But the New Orleans standard, right? The New Orleans king cake. If you want an authentic today, an authentic king cake is going to be a brioche, right? Which is a French bread, really. It's a, it's a type of bread uh, that has so many different applications. I mean, you, you could use it to make different types of bread. You can use it to make different types of cake. And that's exactly what we're doing here uh, with this brioche is making uh, a king cake. Uh, so it's going to be sweet, but what makes it a brioche? What is unique or distinctive about a brioche is the amount of butter and the amount of egg yolks that you use. It uh, What it does is 
is going to yield a bread or a cake that's going to be very golden in color because of all the egg yolks and the butter using the amount of butter that you use it makes the it gives the the feel of the dough and of the finished product of the bread itself it gives it the um I won't say appearance because it's more than appearance it's appearance but also the feel of being wetter than it really is or moister than it really is is. Uh, and that, that's what the butter does. Now, one of the things that's really awesome about a, a brioche is that, um, the, the texture, the consistency and texture of the dough makes it very easy to braid, which is why you're going to find a lot of king cakes in New Orleans. Different bakeries do this. Uh, they will braid the king cakes. They braid them and they have it, you know, kind of woven in and out, which adds a whole new layer to the symbolism. If you think about it, pretty cool. Uh, the, the one that I make at home, the one that, uh, I guess over, over time, people who have had the king cake, they just absolutely love it the way that we do it, uh, which is not, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. Matter of fact, I, I you know, I really have turned this over to, uh, just because my work schedule doesn't allow it to my wife and my daughters. They, they love to do the king cakes every year and, and they do a fantastic job. So it's not really about me. It's just the, the recipe is is a good recipe. It's a solid recipe. And if you follow it, you can make one just like I do. And it's, it's great. And people love it. And it's, it's unique because you get a, a, a quality from a homemade king cake that you really can't get in the ones that are mass produced. Now, if I'm going to get one, if I'm going to buy one from some bakery, then it's going to be Randazzo's. That's just my favorite. Uh, or I'm going to get it from, um, uh, Nona or Nana, Nana Randazzo's has a bakery. She's part of the Randazzo family, has her own bakery up here, not too far from me. Fantastic king cakes as well. But I honestly prefer to have it right here from home. Now, I'll tell you, too, that, um, you know, Willa Jean, which is part of the John Besh uh, restaurant group, Willa Jean uh, is a restaurant down in, in New Orleans. They're producing a king cake that is just so decadent. It makes you want to slap your mama, okay? <laughs> it is just so decadent, it's ridiculous. And last year, they did um, uh, the the uh, the office, John Besh's office uh called me up. I, I, I've done, I've been honored to, to have him on the radio, uh, not just this sh- the, the Catholic foodie show, but also the local show I do in, in New Orleans and Baton Rouge and, uh, had him on the radio a number of times. I, 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 I try to help spread the word whenever the, the John Besh foundation or the restaurant group has any good things going on. I like to, to help spread the word about that. And as a thank you, they contacted me last carnival season and said, Hey, you wouldn't have to be in town right now, huh? And I said, yeah, actually I'm, I'm, I'm here. They said, well, come on by. We've got something for you. Well, I show up and I, I they, they gave me one of these king cakes. It was unbelievable. What a treat. It was an unbelievable treat. So I'm going to put a picture of that up at catholicfoodie.com for the show notes. You can see that. And uh, if we have time today, I'll try to talk a little bit more about it. But I, I, I'm kind of looking at the clock thinking we there's a lot more I want to talk to talk about, especially as far as the uh, the actually making a king cake and what it's all about. So I, I told you a little bit about it. It's a brioche. And um, let me see if I could pull up the recipe here. I actually have a, a, a clip of Emerald making this, but I just don't think we're going to have time to, uh, to, to, to hear that t- today. We're running out of time. So what I'll probably do is put that in the show notes over at catholicfoodie.com. You can watch him do it. It's about a five minute, five minute, 45 second clip. And you can see the whole process. He makes it look very simple and it really isn't that complicated. I am trying to pull up the recipe now. I think this is it. All right. Here's what you need. 
if you're going to make the king cake. Here's what you need. You need uh, two packets of active dry yeast. We're talking about four and a half teaspoons here. Uh, Half a cup of granulated sugar, one and a half sticks of butter melted. Uh, one cup of warm milk. You want it to be about 110 degrees. You don't want it to be too hot because what you're going to do is dissolve the yeast in the milk. All right. You're going to kind of activate the yeast in the milk. You need five large egg yolks room temperature. And uh, if you look at the recipe, I kind of go through how to how to take the yolk out of the, separate the yolk from the whites. It's, it's kind of fun. I like doing that. I could do that probably all day. It, it, it's a lot of fun, really. Um, you need kosher, uh, wait, uh, flour. Four and a half cups of flour, all-purpose flour. Uh, kosher salt, two teaspoons. One teaspoon of uh, freshly grated nutmeg. A teaspoon of grated lemon zest. Uh, a teaspoon of oil, you know, and it could be any kind of oil. I, I tend to use either butter uh, or I use regular olive oil. Uh, you also need uh, one pound of cream cheese at room temperature, three and a half cups of confectioner's sugar, one plastic king cake baby, or you could use a pecan or you could use a bean, a dry bean, like a, I don't know, a red bean maybe, or some other kind of bean, a fava bean. Fava beans are big. That, that'll work. Uh, five tablespoons of milk. That's going to be set aside. That's separate. It's going to be room temperature milk. Um, three tablespoons of fresh lemon juice, and then purple, green, and yellow food coloring. Now for the dough, this is what you're going to do. You want to combine the yeast and the granulated sugar in the bowl of a stand mixer fitted with a dough hook. Now, if you don't have a stand mixer, don't worry. You can do the same thing by hand, just in a large mixing bowl, preferably a big glass mixing bowl. Uh, you want to add the melted butter, the warm milk, and then beat for one minute at medium-low speed. Uh, if you don't have that, you can be mixing it with your hands and maybe with a big fork or something and, and working it that way. Uh if you have a stand mixer, then you, with the mixer running, you want to add the egg yolks and beat that for another minute. Then you want to add the flour, the salt, the nutmeg, the lemon zest, and beat until everything is incorporated. Increase the speed to high and beat until the dough pulls away from the sides of the bowl and forms a ball or start, starts to climb up the, the dough hook. Um, as with any dough, you may have to add water like a little tablespoon at a time or more flour to get the right consistency or the right results. You can even add more milk instead of, instead of water. Uh, remove the dough hook from the bowl and then using your hands, form it into a smooth ball. Uh, use regular olive oil, not, not extra virgin because that's going to leave a taste, another taste, but just maybe regular olive oil or some other kind of oil um, and lightly oil a large mixing bowl. Place the dough in the bowl, roll it around to coat it on all sides, and then cover the bowl with plastic wrap, set it aside in a warm, draft-free place for about two hours. What you're looking for is you want the dough to double in size. In the meantime, while you're waiting, you can take a large mixing bowl and combine the cream cheese and then half a cup of the confectioner's sugar. Uh, you want to blend it using a fork or if you have a, like an electric mixer, you can do that on low speed and set aside. And what it does, it's really going to fluff. It's going to fluff up a lot uh, and it, it, ooh, it tastes good. It, and that little sugar to that, that stuff, I have a hard time keeping my hand out of it. And then one, once it is, uh, the dough is, has doubled in size, you want to uh, uh, turn the dough onto a lightly floured surface. Uh, use your hands or a rolling pin, roll it out into a big rectangle about 30 inches long and six inches wide. You take the cream cheese filling and spread it out lengthwise over the bottom half of the dough. Then you want to flip that top half over. So what you're doing is you're, 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 you're rolling it out in a big rectangle, putting the, the filling on half of the side of it and then flipping that over and you're going to seal it around and you're going to make that into a big circle. 
Okay. And we are running out of time. So I'm going to try to f- run through this. You got to make sure your oven's preheated at, uh, at 350. You know what? I'm not going to run through it because it's, it's, it's too fast. I can't talk that fast. The rest of this recipe is going to be on the website, catholicfoodie.com in the show notes. You're going to find it there. I do have a post for it. I'm going to actually post also the entire recipe right there in the show notes. So you don't have to click on multiple things to get to it. It is so worth it. It takes a little bit of effort and time. I can't lie. It will. But I can tell you this. It's going to be worth it. It's going to, you're, going to make, you're going to be famous. You're going to be Facebook famous when you take pictures of it and post it. You're going to be famous with your friends and your family when you invite them over. It's going to be awesome. And you're going to let me know. If you make it, let me know. And uh, thank you again. Thank you so much for listening to The Catholic Foodie Show. Jeff Young here, your host, The Catholic Foodie. I will be talking to you tomorrow. Until then, bon appetit.